enjoy taking notes. If that outline helps you, grab that out of the bulletin. Father, I thank you for the presence that we have already felt today of your move among us. God, I pray that you would allow these words not to just come in one ear and out the other, but God, I pray that they'll take root in our heart. Father, I pray that we'll not only embrace your truth, but God, allow us through your strength to begin to apply our life to your principles. It's in your name, Jesus, we ask these things. Amen. Last week, we started a series entitled Running on Fumes. We uh, talked about rest and how we can come to Jesus for rest. Jesus says, come to me and I will give you rest. And when we come to him, he also calls us to take on his yoke, to, to let him take the lead, to let him be in control. And we also saw that after that, we need to learn from him. He'll teach us his gentleness and humility. We found hope in the rest that Jesus offers but I believe the ongoing challenge for many of us is that may be good last week and it may hit us at a moment, but life begins to pile up and it begins to happen and we begin to move so fast through life that we don't slow down enough to gain the momentum that he gives through his rest. We live our life so jam-packed at a breakneck speed, the pressure to cram more into less and less is ever-present around us. It impacts every aspect of our life. I want you to think back to a time when you could see that this hurried lifestyle was evident for you. If I just think about the word being in a hurry, or the thought of being in a hurry, and, and where that did some things in my life, I, I think back to when I was in Kansas City, I was in seminary, and I was a youth pastor, and uh, I was... Uh, wearing the hat of husband for the first time. And I was running late for class, and I didn't have everything done as, as a youth pastor. I was feeling behind the eight ball, and I ran out of the house. I got into the truck. I put it in reverse, ready to go to class, and I backed out very quickly to hear a big crash as I ran into Carrie's car that was parked behind mine. The first temptation in my mind was to blame any and everything other than the person behind the wheel. Well, you shouldn't park there. Well, this shouldn't have happened. I shouldn't have been late. And all these things. And, and I began to see the evidence of, of being so hurried that it began to cause all kinds of havoc. It not only messed up a bumper, and not only got my attitude out of whack, but there is things in our life that can be greatly damaged by hurry. E. Meyer Friedman has coined the term hurry sickness. I want to ask us this morning, do you have hurry sickness? Here are some little tests for us to help us see if you have hurried sickness. Seven signs that you may be living a hurried life. Look at them there in, in your outline. And if you see this evident in, in your life, you just put a check mark or circle the number of, of the one that you say, yeah, I guess I kind of see this from time to time in my life. You may be living a hurried lifestyle if you go through your day with a constant sense of urgency. I mean, from the time you wake up to the time you go to bed, everything is urgent right now. There's a friend in my life that has discovered that little box you can check on the email that they send that says urgent. I have never gotten an email from them that wasn't urgent. It always comes with red letters. It's always urgent. Everything is urgent for them. You may have a hurried lifestyle if you notice the underlying tension 
in every one of your close relationships. It's just like the people that are close to you, there's just this constant turbulence. It's this underlying friction. It doesn't mean that there's always a problem, but it's just something always is rubbing you the wrong way. You may have a preoccupation with escaping. I can tell you're living a hurried lifestyle. I mean, as soon as you finish one vacation, you're beginning to plan and think about the next vacation. As soon as the weekend comes to an end, you're thinking about the next weekend. Any chance to escape, any chance to think of of that time when you can just cut loose and get free, you're always thinking about that. Maybe you're living a hurried lifestyle. Do you often feel frustrated because you're not getting things done? Do you have little time to love the people in your life? You find that you're often trying to do too many things all at once. Have you lost the sense of gratitude and wonder about life? Now, as you look at the list, look at how many that you checked. And if you're sitting next to a family member or a spouse or a close friend, you can just go ahead and exchange and grade their sheet and see if they answered correctly. Because sometimes the people in our life who are closest to us can be the most honest with us about how hurried we live our life. If we don't slow down, we'll never gain the momentum that God wants to give us from rest. Just think for a minute about the problems that hurry brings in our life. Think of the price that you pay for hurry sickness. The problems that are created, the effects it has on your loved ones, the effects it has on your health, the effects that it has on your ability to be filled up by rest, the effects it has on your relationship with Christ. You see, aimless movement brings spiritual momentum to a standstill. You may be doing all kinds of things. You may be trying to gain traction in your life, and and you go here and you do this and you say this and, and you read that, but all this aimless movement brings your spiritual momentum to a halt. It's kind of counterintuitive. We think slowing down to gain momentum, I'm pretty sure that's not like how physics works. to, to, To stop doing some things so I can have momentum in my spiritual life, how is this possible? But that's exactly what God calls to us. The truth today is not from the words that I'm sharing. It's not from some help, self-help talk. It's not about how to manage your time better or squeeze more productivity out of your day. The truth is rooted in God's Word. Look at Galatians 5:25. If I could only share one scripture with you today, this is the scripture that I would share, but I'm going to share more than one. But if I could only share one, this is the one that I want us to hear. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. If we claim to live in the Spirit, if we claim to be children of God, if we claim to have the Spirit of God in our life, we live by the Spirit, then let us keep in step with the Spirit. Romans 3.28, the paraphrase of the message says this, God does not respond to what we do, we respond to what God does. We finally figured it out. Our lives get in step with God and of all others by letting Him set the pace, not by proudly or anxiously trying to run the parade. That is a rock-solid truth for us today. We need to live by the Spirit and keep in step with the Spirit. It's not about what you get done. It's not about what I get done. It's about what God is doing in our life. Amen? Amen. Now, Wherever the truth shows up, whenever we can find a rock-solid truth, just around the corner, right close by, is a lie from the enemy that is planted to steal away that truth. You with me, church? All right. Either you're asleep or I'm going too fast. 
It's way too soon to be asleep, so I'm going to choose that I'm going too fast. So I'll slow down my talker. You speed up your listening. When we have the truth that walking in the Spirit, living by the Spirit, and staying in step with the Spirit is our call, there's a lie that comes to us from the enemy. Here's one of the lies the enemies will give us. It's one that's, that's centered on time. It's focused in on time, the illusion of time. It's the thought that says someday things will settle down. We think that when things settle down that we'll get around to it. When things settle down, I will begin to live out my priorities. When things settle down, then I'll begin to do what matters most in my life. You ever find yourself thinking or saying those things? Not to be too crass or too harsh today, but here's when things will settle down for you. When you die. We'll be amazed at how slow things appear when this world ends for us here physically. Friend, if you wait till things slow down, things settle down in life, the circumstances, the stuff that's thrown at you, you will be waiting your entire life. Now, I recognize that there's ebbs and flows. There's, there's different seasons of our life. I vividly remember thinking when I was in seventh grade, I was overwhelmed by having to go from one classroom to the next, to the next, to the next. I didn't start that in my school until we were in seventh grade. And I had a different teacher for every subject. And all of them had the audacity to give me an assignment. I thought that was a crime against humanity. Let's all agree on what should be assigned. Not every teacher come up with their own list. And I felt the weight of all these things coming down on me. And I just, I vividly remember thinking, will there ever be a time when life is not so busy? And I look back now and I think, seventh grade was pretty easy. Why was I so stressed out? Friend, it doesn't matter what season or stage of life you're in, there will be something that screams for your attention, screams for your time, and you can live at a breakneck pace if we do not consciously allow God to slow us down and give us momentum. That's why the wisdom of Scripture is so key for us. We have to eliminate the hurry. We must slow down and get in step with the Holy Spirit to gain this momentum. Hurry can be one of the greatest enemies of our relationship with Jesus. There's almost nothing that has to do with the life of the kingdom of God that can be done in a hurried fashion. You can't receive the love of God in a hurry. You can't listen to somebody in a hurry. You can't love somebody else in a hurry. Now check this out. There's a big difference between being busy and being hurried, living a hurried life. Busy has to do with our outward condition. It's some of those circumstances. And it's not always because of the things we put on ourselves. There's a big difference between that. Hurried has to do with the state of our soul. Now, before we all take the excuse of saying, well, yeah, I'm so busy because things are put on me, some of us need to just be honest and say, most of the busyness I put on myself. Most of the big to-do list I sign myself up for. And we'll talk a little bit more about that later, how we sometimes get our self-worth from how busy we feel we are. But before we go further, we need to understand there's a difference between being busy and being hurried. Hurry is an inward condition that results from having too many competing priorities at the same time. Jesus himself was often busy, but he was never hurried. He always was free to receive the love of the Father. He always was free to give the love to those who were in need. Yet in our frantic pace of life, our hurried hearts can be the greatest enemy in the relationship with the giver of rest. So that first lie was about time. The second lie that comes to us, the illusion, is on stuff. 
It's the thought that says someday more will be enough. Some of us live such a fast-paced life because we try to gather and accumulate and take care of so much stuff. Have you ever found yourself thinking, if I just buy that outfit, I'll finally have enough clothes. If I just recarpet the house, the house can finally be done. If I could just buy that car or that house, then finally I'll be satisfied. And yet, we live in a world that often says, we're just a collection of the appetites that we have to be satisfied. We'll never be satisfied. We're surrounded by ads that are screaming out to us, buy me, use me, drink me. Add me to your collection and you will be satisfied. And yet that never takes place. The difference between more and enough is separated by an unbridgeable chasm that makes the Grand Canyon look like a little ditch. Think about it. More and enough for some of us couldn't be any farther apart. There'll never be enough time. There'll never be enough stuff to satisfy your soul. Only the rest from Jesus can bring that satisfaction that your heart craves. It's all found in the truth in Galatians 5.25. Since we live by the Spirit, let us keep in step with the Spirit. You see, authentic Christianity, it's not learning a set of doctrines and then stepping into line with those doctrines. It's not just about being a good humanitarian and serving those who are less fortunate. It is a supernatural walk with a living, dynamic God who longs to communicate with us. Thus, the heart and the soul of the Christian life is learning to hear God's voice and to do what God tells you to do. When was the last time you said, you know what? I sense God speaking to me. Some of you say, well, you know what? I've never heard God say, this is what if you doeth todayeth. I haven't heard him say that either. John Wesley talks about how we hear from God. He often puts categories, or we put categories on his writing of Scripture can speak to us of what God is saying. But God has given us a brain, and sometimes he speaks to us through reason. Then he also gives us the tradition, the body of believers, other Christians that speak into our life. And he fourth and finally gives us our own experience with him. But any of these things in and of themselves, we can kind of skew them. Now, now God's word's not skewed, but I can skew it. But when I take God's word and I take the reason or the wisdom that he's given to me in my brain and I take the counsel from brothers and sisters and I take my own experience with God and line them up like those lenses when you go to the eye doctor and he just kind of like puts them all into place and he says one or two. And you go, I don't know, try it again. One or two. But then they finally get it right and you're like, that's it, I can see it. God will speak to you. But are you moving so fast that you can't remember the last time that God has spoken to you? This is not about your personality type. This is not about your makeup. This is not about your spiritual gift. This is about your God who says, I have rest for you. Come to me. Let me lead. Learn from me. But we'll never get to last week's stuff until we slow down and let him give us momentum. Bill Hybel shares... Where does the still, small voice of God fit into our hectic lives? When do we allow Him to lead, to guide, to correct, and to affirm? When I read that this week, that just leaped out at me. Some of us want to just clearly proclaim, Jesus is Lord of my life in my spiritual category. But we compartmentalize so much stuff, and and when we're asked the question, when has your hectic life 
made space for God to correct you in every area of your life, to lead you in every area of your life, to bring affirmation to you in every area of your life, we begin to wonder, is he leading at all? I remember hearing my grandmother say this phrase over and over till it almost lost meaning for me. If he's not Lord of it all, he's not Lord at all. It rhymed, it sounded good, and Nana said it over and over. But when we unpack it, there's so much truth there. If you don't let God be in charge of every area of your life, is he really in charge of any area in your life? We have to slow down to gain momentum. Our hurry lifestyle not only increases stress and drains our joy, it will end up choking out the life-giving communication that the Lord longs for us to have with him. Okay, so that's the problem. We move so fast that we don't get the momentum of rest that he wants us to have. So what is the solution? I love how God's word doesn't just give us a promise to to proclaim something. He gives us action steps through his word to see that promise come to fruition in our life. How do we slow down to gain momentum? Here's the first thought. All over scripture we see that we are to embrace God's pace over our plans. God, I want your pace over my plans. Psalm 46.10 says, Be still and know that I am God. If we just take that piece by piece, some of us just need to be still. There's so much movement in our life, no wonder we can't know that He is God because we just can't be still. Others of you, that just fits with your DNA. You are very still. Like, you're just like a statue kind of person. And you go, that's right, pastor, preach it, be still. Hey, hey, being still for the sake of being still does nothing except stillness. Be still and know that I am God. So the point of being still is to have the enlightenment to know that He is God and I am not. He's in control and I am not. Jeremiah 2.25, the paraphrase says, Slow down, take a deep breath. What's the hurry? Why wear yourself out? Just what are you after anyway? But you say, I can't help it. I'm addicted to these false gods. I can't quit. I want to ask you, who is setting the pace of your life? I mean, really, who is setting the pace of your life? Think of all the things that you're doing that makes you busy. Remember, busyness is different than hurriedness. Your conditions, your your circumstances may bring some busyness to you. But who's setting the pace in that busyness? Is it your work schedule that sets your pace? Is it your boss that sets your pace? Is it your children? Did they set the pace of your life? Is it your desire or maybe addiction to comfort or entertainment that sets the pace for your life? Does your to-do list set the pace for your life? Is it really God's pace or is it your plan or someone else's plan for you? I think another lie that the enemy gives us whenever we preach or teach on the issue of rest, often people go, oh, I'm so stressed out. Thanks, Pastor, this is good. I just need to quit doing stuff. And you don't see him from church or Bible study or prayer for like a year. It's amazing the things we clear off our plate when we feel stressed. God says, take my yoke upon you. My custom fit yoke. We don't take God off our plate. We put him smack dab in the center and say, you clear everything else off. And God, you begin to put it back on. So I shouldn't have a job? Of course I should. Should I live for my job? No. Does my job provide a way for me to live? Sure. 
God is calling us to embrace his pace over our plans. So, Pastor, you're saying you should never have a plan. No, it's not what I said. God's pace should be more important to you than your plan. Does God have the right? Do you let him exercise the right to set the speed of your life? This is a lordship issue for many of us. After we make this decision, it is a decision to have his pace. I need to say it is a very simple decision. It's not easy, but it is simple. Either I am choosing to let him lead the pace, or I'm going to do it. It's not complicated. It's simple. Not always easy, but it's simple. After we make the decision to embrace his pace, God is so good to now give us some instruction on how to follow through with that. Number two, keep the Sabbath, not your schedule. Exodus 29 and 10. You have six days each week for your ordinary work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath day of rest dedicated to the Lord your God. I like how one author has noted, while we are liable to break any of the Ten Commandments, the fourth commandment that says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy, is the only one that we brag about breaking. We actually feel like there's something good that we do. I'm just so busy. I'm so busy I couldn't get to that. I'm so busy I, I couldn't do that. I think it's because we tend to associate busyness with importance. The almost unspoken thought there is, if I have too much free time, then it's proof that I'm not that important to somebody. Another lie that Satan plants in us to get us away from the momentum of the rest of Jesus that God longs for us to have. Many of us, though we whine about it, when we are called in for extra work, we secretly love it. We gain our identity from it. Friends, you and I are in desperate need of a sane rhythm of work and in rest. God has given us a weekly reminder, a weekly realignment in the Sabbath. If you uh, would like to do some more study on that, about a year ago I spoke on the fourth commandment on a Sunday night. You can go online to uh, gracepointgpnaz.org and look that up. There's a lot we can learn from what it means to remember the Sabbath and keep it holy. Not only are we to embrace God's peace and keep the Sabbath, third, we are to learn contentment, not containment. Often we try to contain things, almost like a, um, a, a virus or some kind of catastrophe or some kind of PR scandal. We want to just contain it, minimize the damage, just Hang on to what we can and cut our losses. Try to contain things. And, and we live our life. I think for some of us, it's not even that we're so greedy. It's just, I, I've got I've to get what I can and hang on to it and not lose it. i just got to contain this. And, and containment gives us the mental pictures of a grip, of controlling. But contentment is the opposite. It's one of open hands. It's one of giving. It's one of saying, I, I'm not going to own it all anyway. Matthew six thirty three says, but... Strive first for the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. You see, contentment is inward. It's an inward reality that results in an outward lifestyle. You say, well, Brady, I'm, I'm content. I'm telling you I'm content. Well, really? Show me your life. If you are content inwardly, it will get out on you outwardly. You cannot live a content lifestyle in secret. People will see it on you. The reverse is true as well. 
when you live a life inwardly that you try to control and contain everything and, and gather so much stuff, it oozes out on everything outside of you as well. I love what Richard Foster has to say about characterizing three inner attitudes of contentment. He says, if what I have I receive as a gift from God, and if what I have is to be cared for by God, and if what I have is available to others, then I possess the inward reality of contentment. Well, how do I know if I'm content? Well, you begin to see everything you have is a gift from God. You begin to see that He cares for it. He maintains it. You don't have to mastermind it. And you begin to see that everything you have can and should be available to others. That's how you know if contentment is in your life. You say, well, Brady, I I don't know that I have contentment. How can I start living a content life? Here's some suggestions. Buy things, objects, possessions, for their usefulness, not for their status. When was the last time that you upgraded because that item was actually more useful, or was it just because it was the latest and greatest, or just because it was the best one that was available? Buy for its usefulness, not for its status. Second, reject everything that you find yourself addicted to. Oh, I I get it. You're talking about drugs and alcohol and cigarettes and all those things. Well, sure. But let's be honest. There's a whole lot more things we find ourselves enslaved to than just those chemical things. Uh, Technology is not good or bad. It's not moral or immoral. It's amoral. It depends on how we use it. And and I enjoy technology. I, I, I think it's great. But one of the dangers is technology changes so fast that when you buy a piece of technology, it seems like as soon as you buy it, it's already out of date. And you enter into this cycle of, well, i I got to get the next upgrade. And, well, this is good for about six months, and then i got to get the next one. And and I'm always living in a state of constant commitment or addiction to that next piece of equipment. What if you were two cycles out of date? Would it be okay? The internet has not worked very well at the office this last week, and I did not like it. I found myself thinking, how in the world did pastors prepare anything without the internet? Pretty sure there was generations of people who didn't have to use online Bible studies commentaries to compare one to another. That They began to use their print books, so I pulled a couple print books off my shelf. I began to find myself saying, ooh, Two or three hours without the internet, I'm feeling like I'm on a deserted island. Contentment is when I'm not enslaved to anything. Or as soon as I see it, I say, maybe I need to let go of that a little bit in my life. How do I slow down to gain momentum? It's not by my plans, but it's by God's pace. It's not by my schedule, but it's by keeping the Sabbath. It's not by containment or controlling, but it's by contentment. All this comes from seeking first the kingdom of God. You say, okay, Brady, that's, that's all good. I see the problem that I'm going too fast and I cannot fill up on rest and I won't gain momentum. And, and I see a few things that I need to do and I can do those things. But to be honest, I've tried that. I've tried keeping the Sabbath. I, I've tried, you know, trusting, you know, God. I've tried to, you know, His pace over my plans. It doesn't work. Well, number four, trust God's timing Not your perception. Ecclesiastes 3.11 God does everything just and right and on time, but people can never completely understand what He is doing. 
Friend, if we are not really embracing God's pace, we'll begin to see an attitude that says, I want it now. I can't say, I want God to do this now, but I really want you to set the pace. I can't say, God, I want to live in contentment with you, but I want you to to give me rest right now. It's trusting his time, not my perception of what he is doing. When we feel that I have tried and done everything I can and nothing has changed, may I suggest that God is taking his time and changing you and changing me. It's not that God's timing is off. It's that our perception is skewed. There is rest for you. But we have to surrender our stopwatch that's constantly metering how long everything takes and stop and watch Him. When I lay down my timing mechanism and I just start watching Him, it's amazing to see what He's doing. Even doing rapidly. But He does it on His time, not my perception of how it should work. And His time is always better than mine. Okay, well, well, how do I do this? You said this would be some practical things. How could I do this? The fifth and final thought is to practice patient prayer, not drive-by prayer. I'm convinced that one of the great tragedies in the Church of America, at least, that's the Church of Christ that I know, is we have done such horrible things to prayer that we have smashed it to be these introductory things that we do. When I wake up before I start my day, I pray. When I have lunch, I pray before I eat. When I have dinner, I pray before I eat. When we have a meeting, we pray before we start the meeting. And those aren't bad things to do. But if we're not careful, we teach ourselves to say, well, we pray to get to what we really want to get to. I want to get to lunch, and I hope I don't choke on lunch, so let's pray for lunch, because I want to eat lunch. When we begin to live out prayer as this precursor to whatever is important, and we miss this life-giving source of practicing patient prayer instead of drive-by shots of prayer. Now, we have the privilege to come to our Father any way, any time. It doesn't mean that you can't shoot up an arrow prayer. But friend, if all you're doing is just dart arrow prayers as you're racing through life, you're going to miss the momentum that He wants to bring you. I want to share with you as we close this morning one way to practice patient prayer. It's not the only way. I don't even know that I'd say it's the best way. It's one way that you can begin to experiment with this even this afternoon. I want to challenge you to start a prayer journal. Now, how many of you here, you like journaling? You you just, journaling is, you just like it. Raise your hand. Raise it up. You're weird. I don't understand you. I mean, I mean, I like you and all that. I don't, I don't naturally like to journal. And those who get it, good. You're like farther along than I am. But I've got to confess, when I would think of journaling, here's what would come into my mind. Guys, I would think of a Hello Kitty diary that a little girl would use with that little key that like the lock is useless. You can just bust it open. I think, well, this is a child thing to do or this is something that, that ladies would like to do, but I don't want to do this. Hey, it was a huge aha moment for me. When I begin to see that I could have a prayer journal in the DNA in which God has created me. And one mentor spoke to me and said, just take one page and only one page. So if you don't like to write a lot, get a small journal. Okay, just one page. And write down your reflections on yesterday. Okay. I can handle that. Even bullet points. Guess what? Grammar doesn't count. Spelling doesn't count. I'm beginning to like journals already. This is good. This is for you and the Lord. Jot down 
one-page reflection of the day before. And then, write out your prayer. The next page, just begin to write out your prayer. Now, it doesn't have to rhyme. You don't have to have these deep theological phrases in there. If you do, great. But just write out your prayer in your own words. Talk to God about what you've experienced the day before. What you want to thank Him for. What you need His intercession for. Just talk to God. Remember, this isn't the only way. This is one way. And then, be quiet. Stop writing. Listen. Through Scripture. Through your mind. Through reason. Through other brothers and sisters who may have spoken a word to you earlier on. Through your own experience with God. Allow Him to line them up. Listen. As if God really wants to speak to you. Because He does. Now some of us get this far and we stop. And we miss this huge blessing. The next step. Write down what God said to you. Brady already told you. I've never heard God say, this is what you should do it today. Spend time being quiet. Do you sense anything from His Word that He's highlighting for you? Do you sense anything that he's, he's speaking to you in the still small voice in your mind or in your heart? Do you sense something that you've had a multiple of brothers and sisters in Jesus that you have confidence in? It's not just some kooky person somewhere that doesn't have any weight in your life. It's people you have confidence in. Do you see God speaking through them? Do you see your own experience with God lining up? And when you record what He has said, the ability to obey skyrockets. Because there on the page in front of you is a practice of patient communication with God. God, this is what I've experienced. This is what I'm crying out for. This is what I'm thanking you for. I need to hear you speak in regards to this. Here's what I think that you have said. Maybe I got it wrong. I think this is what you said. And God, I want to live in obedience to that. I tell you, nothing slows us down to gain momentum like practicing patient prayer. Father, I thank you for the attentiveness of my friends today. I pray that you will remind us over and over again that your pace is so better than our pace. The way we live our life will always bring frustration, fatigue, and failure But the way you call us to pace our life will bring renewal, direction, and momentum. Lord, I pray that there will not be guilt or shame that is received from this message, but a call to go and just spend time with you. God, we make a conscious choice today. It's simple. It's not necessarily easy, but it's simple. The person who dictates the pace of our life has to be you. We may not be able to always control our busyness. But God, would you eliminate hurry? Would you give us wisdom, direction, and courage to say, work, this is all the hours that I'm going to give you, period. Self, this is all the hours that I'm going to allow to come into just comfort. In fact, I'm going to center my entire calendar off of God first and the best time with Him. Thank you, Father, for the gifts that you have awaiting for us as we slow down to gain momentum in you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen and amen.
Friends, I leave you with this thought. You are way too busy not to slow down. There is too much at stake for you to miss the momentum that God has for you today. As you go, experiment with taking time to let God set the pace in your life. May God bless you. You're dismissed.